0: Well, good day, fellowship. We're on episode nine of this mission possible, a mission uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit as we look at the book of Acts. And I invite you to join with me this morning to uh, the 20th chapter of the book of Acts as we join Paul on his third missionary journey, and this was a journey literally to witness the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It started in Jerusalem, moved to Judea and all Samaria, and now is going around the world to the end of the earth. This third journey, Paul launched from the church in Antioch in present day Syria, and he traveled this route, if I can kind of show it to you here. Uh, and you probably won't see that thread, but that's kind of his travel log there. This is a satellite view of it. It actually went for about four years. Think about that. Traveling for four years and he stayed in places uh, rather than just jumped around. He stayed in like Corinth. He stayed there for 18 months. He moved to Ephesus. He was there for two years. Sometimes actually he was a total of three years in Ephesus uh, over the course of his missionary journeys. And so uh, as he was as he was uh, going and finishing this trip, he was kind of expediting the trip and wanted to go to Jerusalem and celebrate Pentecost. So he landed his ship landed in the port of Miletus, which is just south of Ephesus. And Ephesus, as I mentioned, he spent a total of three years of his ministry there. He loved that church. He founded that church. And it's kind of interesting, just as we think about this, he stayed in a place. He wasn't a rock star, wasn't a celebrity pastor. He didn't jump from place to place. He hung out in places because he was a discipler of people. And whenever you disciple someone you're going to be there for a while. Why? Because it's a bunch of garbage in our lives, right? And you get to know beneath the veneer of someone, beneath of the smile we put on on a Sunday or a Saturday evening and go to church and everything looks okay. I mean, from my perspective, none of you have problems. None of you have, have issues, but you know, just like I know about me, we've all have our issues. We all have our chaos in our lives. And when you get discipled or you disciple someone, you're going to discover those things. Paul hung out with people he loved Jesus and he loved people, which meant that he could stay places that he'd get to know them. He'd help establish the churches in their faith. He also helped establish leadership in there and he prepared them for life without him when he would move to an area to take the gospel beyond them. So here at Ephesus, he calls those leaders, the elders from that church in Ephesus down to Miletus and, and then he shares His final message with them. And it's kind of interesting. Here we are all the way to the the 20th chapter of a 28 chapter book. In Acts chapter 20, we see Paul giving his first message to actually people who were believers. All the way up to this point, he had been preaching to those who didn't trust Jesus yet or have been outside of the faith. Here he's talking to just Christians, just followers of Christ. Now, this would be his last message to them. And they knew that. And so it was rich with emotion. It was deep in relationship. Have you ever had a moment like that? The last time you talked to a parent or your spouse before they passed away. You remember those comments. You remember those words. You remember sometimes a blessing they gave. And those words kind of just sear into your mind. You never forget those. Well, such were the words of Paul. Let's pick up on it. In Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17, he says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, Paul is going to share a vision here. This passage just shares a vision. And a vision is your picture of the future, your best, most desired future. And Paul is going to call them to a value of the end of their lives. What do they want the end of their lives to be? I remember one of the transformational phrases I picked up along the way in ministry was this one. It says, live with the end in mind. so, So many times it's easy to be caught up in the sway and the chaos of life that you're just either in survival mode or you're just trying to get through the day and you're kind of encapsulated through it. And I had a friend who said, hey, Joe, think, live with the end in mind. Think about the end. How do you want to leave this world? What do you want your legacy to be? And this kind of changed and transforms how I how I lead, how I love my family I remember when I had three boys and they were all really little. Two of them were in diapers at one time. And I came home and Cheryl was seated in the living room floor. And I had two kids just running around her like this. As soon as she saw me, she had not had any adult conversation all day. And she looked at me and just burst into tears. And I said, Cheryl, man, it's going, woman. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. They're going to grow up someday hopefully by sixth grade they'll be out of diapers and we'll have and sure enough they grew up life got better and it was helpful for us at that time to start thinking about what do we want what kind of heart for jesus do we want in these boys how can we cultivate and and uh, really share our faith and live our faith so that when they leave this home they will love jesus And they will love other people. That's been our value all along. It's changed us. How we live with the end in mind. Changes how we begin each day. Well you know no matter what your life stage. Whether you're parenting. Or whether you're. Dating right now, what's that end in mind? Well, the moment you say, I do, right? The moment you commit the rest of your life, who do you ultimately want to commit the rest of your life to? If you're working, the day you leave that company, the day you retire from that company, what do you think about, what do you want that day to look like? What do you want those relationships to look like? I just thought recently over my life, I remember the relationships I had in high school, I will look through my yearbook. There's stories that go along with every picture in that book. I think about the college relationships I had. Some of you are in or have been in sororities or fraternities. And you know those relationships. There's a legacy. There's a wake in your life. How do you want that to be when you leave this world? Paul was about to leave their presence. He would never speak to them in this way again, face to face. And so he was really heartfelt you know, in my family, we've always kind of called them, uh, called our boys to to give it their all. And whether it was James here running uh, track or cross country or swimming, Jack swam for Topeka High, and Nathan's hit, is a freshman over at Washburn Rural, also in cross country. We would, I would be that quintessential fan for my boys, and I would stand out in, in a in a cross country track. You can. Or, of course, you can stand in four different places and you can yell at your kid. They can run right by you. And we had a phrase. We had a phrase that was this. It was, finish empty finish empty. I wanted them to think about that finish line and I wanted to think about their race and to steward their lives, steward their resources that God had given them to finish empty, to give a hundred percent. So I would always be going come on, Jay, finish empty. I'm still doing that with Nathan now. Nathan, finish empty, man. Dig deep. Jack, when he jumped in the pool his freshman year, I, I had my iPhone and I pressed the video and I'm following him along though, though You know, not realizing parents shouldn't do this, but I I just followed him along going come on Jack Finish empty. You can do it finish empty And the the race gets over and uh, It goes up and then I see from outside of the camera. I see my son Jack congratulating the guy I had just videoed <laughs> I got the wrong kid I was cheered can you imagine that kid's parents wow that guy takes a great interest in our son wow the words he's what a is that one of the coaches no just a goofball who mixed up his son so he learned the Hishma term finish empty that day and I was thankful that Topeka High actually put their names on their swim caps I could pick out my kids in the water but, you know, that's the whole, whole picture that Paul is calling us into. He's calling us to finish empty. Finish empty of yourself so that you can be full of Christ. That's how he ended his life. He emptied himself of whatever was in the way of Jesus becoming greater in his life. And that's how we want to end. I want you to live with the end in mind. An, an end that's empty of yourself. And full of Jesus. That's who you want people to remember you. It's for who Jesus is in your life. That's the person you want them to trust and depend after you. After you leave that college or university or graduate from high school. Or leave this world or leave that company. You want people to know Jesus. And Paul was really going to do this. Now, how how you want to finish in this world will actually determine how you'll begin each day. Reading this passage, I just can't, I can't get beyond that whole picture of of what it looks like to finish empty. Now, when we think about finishing empty, this takes practice, doesn't it? There's a little bit of fear when you're running a race. Like, uh, when I was, when I'm yelling, finish empty to my kids, they've always said, Dad, I don't know if I'll have enough when I meet, you know, get across the, the finish line. Uh, I'll, I'll run out of gas. I won't have the resources. Some of us think I won't have the money to finish empty. Well, the picture that Paul is calling here is to be people who who bet it all on Jesus, who give our lives away to make Christ greater. And I know there's going to be fear in trusting Jesus or in emptying uh, yourself of something that might give you a little bit more comfort, that might be more of a stronghold in your life. But here's the promise Jesus gives us. If we'll follow him, here's the deal. God always provides something better. When we empty ourselves is something worse. Read the scriptures. Over 75% of the scriptures are narrative. They're stories. They're stories about God meeting people and God calling people to follow him. God calling people away from fear and into faith and, and to trust him. And and he, in other words, God saying, I can handle this. I can handle handle this. And there was never a person who said, well, you couldn't trust God. He really messed up my life. No, God always gives something better. ...when we step away from something worse. So what are we called to, to empty ourselves of in this passage? The first thing Paul is going to call us into... ...is to empty ourselves of fear... ...so that we can be full of faith. That passage we just began with... ...take a look at it a little bit more closely. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you... ...anything that was profitable... ...and teaching you in public and from house to house... ...testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a powerful passage. But what he's basically saying is, look, I didn't shrink back. I was bold in the proclamation of the gospel. I was bold in the call to Christ I was bold publicly. What happened publicly? He was persecuted. He suffered for the name of Jesus What did he have to look ahead of him? The end of that passage said, the Holy Spirit has just testified to me that I will face afflictions. I will suffer for the name of Christ. There's going to be imprisonment wherever I am. But he didn't let fear rule him. He lived by faith. Look at that. He said, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of the repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to ask you, I don't think anyone in this room would go, no, I don't want to live my life with faith. I think you got up on a Sunday morning because you want to live by faith. You want to be people of faith, or I don't think you would be here. At least you might be seeking how to be a person of faith. But here's the deal. Is living by fear better for you or worse? Okay, I just slow pitched it on Sunday morning, right? You don't even have to be fully awake. It's worse. It's worse. Why? Because when you're full of fear, there's anxiousness, there's worry, there's uh, physical issues that happen to you. Some of you don't eat, some of you overeat, some of you sleep like crazy through the day. You don't want to face this reality. Others of you can't stay, stay sleeping at night, so you stay awake and toss and turn all night. All those effects of worry and living by fear... They are worse for you. Living by faith is far better. It's far better than living by fear. And so we're called into that. We're called to empty ourselves of fear so that we that God could fill us with faith. How do we become full with faith? Well, we see Christ in this area. We confess what we're struggling with. We find him in the scriptures and we cling to his truth and we follow him. Now I hear this all the time from people who are contemplating moving from fear to faith Like when it comes to christ or being a christian I just don't want to be one of those fanatics that you see all the time. I don't want to be a jesus freak Others would go. Well, I just don't want to look like them. I don't want to look like a christian I mean, they all have their hair done a certain way They all wear the same kind of clothes. They all drive the same minivan, you know (laughs) And and you know what? Here's the deal Trying not to live like something's a lousy vision for life. That's actually living by fear. It's living by fear because you don't want to be someone. And it's a much better vision to want to be someone like a person of faith and live it however, however God calls you to do that. And that's going to look differently. But it's going to be focused on Jesus Christ. And he's going to move you away from fear and in to faith. Now, the, the reality here is that, um, is that when you choose not to be ruled by your fears, guess what happens? God moves people to you, and you can actually affect whether or not they're believing. Paul was a man of faith, and he God brought people to him. And guess what happen, happened? He brought them to faith. That's what happens when you live by faith. People around you tend to get more faith. They tend to believe more. And can I just say living by fear does the same exact thing. When you parent with fear, guess who gets fear? Your kids do. You you may not wake up and even think like this when you're when you worry or when you're anxious, but you're basically saying, honey, this is how we worry. Honey, this is how you live, not trusting in Jesus. This is how you live, trusting in yourself. And we do it all the time when we let our fears run the way we parent our kids. It's much better to live by faith. Your kids tend to catch it when they start seeing you trust and being authentic with your faith. Paul says, step away. Empty yourself of fear so that you can live and be filled with faith. Second thing he calls you into is to be fi- uh, empty or to finish empty of works and to be full of grace. My goodness, that word grace was Paul's word. That was the word that kind of defined his life. He wasn't always like it, but look at verse 24 when he kind of explains it. <laughs> he says this, But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. My goodness, that word, Paul, knew about it. Now, we're born into works. That's kind of the default switch to us, to just fill our lives with works, with accomplishments, with awards, with performance, with rank or title or, or exclusive perks or position. And Paul lived this way early in his life. He was ruled by the law and works. And then a change came. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, a transformation started happening. A major emptying of his life of works was filled and replaced with grace by God. His crowning achievement or his celebration of grace is the book of Galatians, where he says this, by grace, you are saved. By grace, you are kept. And by grace, you're called to live. How do you know when you're filled with works? On well, my own life, when I'm more impressed with works, I tend to compare my life with yours. I kind of look around me and I go, hmm, I'm not doing that bad. <laughs> or I kind of go, and whoa, I don't think I'll ever be as good as that person. And see, I tend to go, I tend to go horizontal with my comparison. I compare myself with you and God never does that. Never does that. We got to go vertical with God. And therefore, when we see the difference between God and us, we realize that it's only by grace are we saved through faith. It's not our works. There's no way I can boast about this. Folks, we're not here because we're good enough to be in this place. We're here because we need Jesus to give us grace and to forgive us and to restore us back to God. None of us are here because we're perfect. We're here because we need Jesus. If you showed up today not thinking you're worthy, welcome to the club. May your unworthiness show you the beauty and the worthiness of Jesus. That's why we're here. It's all about grace. Now, you know what it's like to live with works. You may have grew up and grown up in a family where a parent was always thinking about how well are you doing compared to the other kids, and they passed that guilt and shame on to you. You may have grown up in a church that said, you haven't been here in three weeks. You may not be going to heaven now. You've not given it all maybe jesus knows you. Maybe he doesn't I mean it's those types of churches that are built on works That put guilt and shame on people And really are is a message of death Because we can't measure up to god. We need someone to live perfectly for us to die completely And to to raise be raised from the dead for us. Jesus did that And it's all because of grace We need to empty ourselves of works and be filled with grace. The other thing that are called to is away from finish empty of deception and full of authenticity. Take a look at verse 28 with me. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. who are sanctified? I think what he's basically saying is, right, try stay away from things that tear you apart from God's work of grace in your life. Live in such a way that's authentic; it's not deceptive. And he says, start with yourselves. Isn't that an important thing? It's important for us to look in the mirror first before we look around us and compare. You know, as a leader, that's been a a humbling statement is to look at my own life. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves before you to pay attention to the flock. He called them both. In other words, I need to be the same person in this room that I am in my home. Paul could say that. He said, I preached publicly and I went home to home. You know me. I suffer for three years over you. I, 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 I cried tears over the struggles you were having. He was an authentic man. He didn't have a false pretense about him. He wasn't trying to play a role. He wasn't an actor. He wasn't playing righteous. He was authentic. That's the heart of God for you. And I've realized that being vulnerable only happens when I'm pursuing authenticity. If I want to deceive you, I always can inflate a story. I mean, I look at how deceptive many, many Facebook posts are. Some of the worst marriages have the best Facebook posts. We can deceive others of the realities that are happening to us, but it comes down. Pay careful attention to yourself. Be real, be authentic about an authentic Jesus. And then he says, there's going to be people from outside who comes in. What does he call them? He calls them fierce wolves. What do they do? Devour the flock. They aren't after loving people. They're after tearing people apart. And he said, there's even people within you. And what does he call them? They twist the truth, draw away the disciples. Boy, he saw that definitely in the church in Galatia. They got the gospel. They realized it was grace grace. It was a free gift, nothing they could earn or deserve. But someone from within them said, nah, I think it's best that we continue working for it. So you do your part, God will do his, and you'll meet him halfway, and that's how you get to heaven. And Paul's like, no, no, you're drawing them. It's twisted. It's twisted. Anything added to grace is not grace. And so he calls them to this. So we got to think about this. We got to think about this real quick. There's things outside and there's things within that move within our church, And in our lives that would draw us from the truth of God to falsehood to lies to deception And so we always want to be alert for that We want to protect the flock God has given us And we want to live the truth and we want to give the truth That's why some of the big marks of living in truth and living in authenticity is your willingness to be corrected I don't hi i'm joe. I don't like to be corrected but i'm 50 years old And I've realized God has provided good, loving truth-tellers in my life who've told me from time to time, Joe, you went too far. Joe, you're missing it here. Joe, I think you need to rethink that one. And man, I am type A driven. I love my way or the highway. But here's the deal. I'm a better man because people have changed me. And I've allowed people to correct me. And you're a better person when you do that too so easy when someone gives you some criticism, even if it's constructive. If someone loves you enough to correct you when you're headed down a path and they love you enough to hate the things that hurt you and destroy you, and you go Trump angry on them because you don't want to be corrected. <laughs> Folks, realize that. That's the way of a fool. A fool would rather change the truth than change himself. Here's the deal. The mark of a, a wise man is that he's able to... He's able to see the truth and change to reflect the truth. That's what wisdom is. It's not perfection. None of us are that. Wisdom is your life has a pattern of change. Paul calls it here repentance. Repentance by faith in Jesus. That your life changes to reflect who Jesus is. Be authentic. Pursue it. Stop playing the part and live authentically, trusting in the grace of God. The other thing that Paul's going to say is, hey, finish empty of materialism and full of generosity. Would you read with me now in uh, verse 33? He says this I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed than to receive. See, Paul really believed this. He kind of kind of uh, moved his life out of materialism and really inten- intentionally lived for things that were priceless, which money couldn't buy, but things that lasted forever. And, and therefore he used what god had given in this world. He had a skill He was a tent maker But he also made money with that and supported him and others to do that So he was never a burden to them He said I coveted no one's silver or gold I didn't even cover what people wear which boy isn't that a big thing in our culture right now To, to what you wear defines who you are and that's because we're fascinated with things people We really are. We're defined by what we have in our culture. The home we live in, the car we drive, the clothes we wear, the hair we style, or the hair we don't style, you know, all that kind of stuff. We find great pleasure in things, new things, in the restoring of old things. We love things and we want what other people have. The less than great female theologian Madonna said that she was a material girl living in a material world. Paul lived in a material world, but he lived intentionally not to be a material man And so he was intentionally emptying himself of materialism to be filled with generosity How do you know when you're full of materialism? You want more you want more of things money can buy And i've lived a life full of materialism. I remember those times as a follower of jesus. I was trapped I gave up in my life what was most important for things that would rust, rot, or be robbed from me. And the reality of this is that I only came up more empty in the end. This was far worse for me than generosity has produced in my life. Now, some will never discover this. Because we believe the lie that he or she who, who dies with the most toys wins. But folks, you cannot that's the great defining moment is the end. You can't take it with you Never seen a hearse with a u-haul on it. You just it just doesn't happen So what do you live for? You live for things money can't buy you live with the priceless blessing of the gospel of jesus christ The only way to empty yourself of materialism is to fill your life with generosity believing the 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 words of jesus that it's more blessed to give than to receive And i've learned probably mostly through marriage. I married a very generous woman And I was a very materialistic guy when we got married And i've learned over these almost 25 years of marriage that the more and more money we give each year the more joy we have Joy we have as a couple joy. We have to be used by the lord joy to um I mean, how could we not right now? It's like we would feel robbed if we couldn't give. We couldn't give time and money to the Lord. And I realized what life was like when I spent it all on myself. It's worse. It's worse when I spent it all on myself. Or worse yet, when I got in debt to spend even more than what I had. I was never content. And you'll never be. You'll get a raise. But guess what? You got to pay off that bill. You're never content with the blessings that God, God had given you. I was always tempted to buy one more thing, one next gadget, to medicate what only God through generosity could eradicate in my life. Begin somewhere with generosity. Generosity honors God. It meets needs and it receives the reward. If you don't believe me, talk to people who are generous, just meet with them for coffee and just say, hey, you have always been a generous person to me or to p- places around me. Hey, how do you feel when you give? What what is giving done in your life? Here is the, the all encompassing word you will hear joy, joy. It is a joy. To, it really is better to give than to receive. And then just just to keep it you know even meet with people who you know are deep in debt, who have overspent, doesn't matter how much they make, they've just overspent, and they're you will hear these words burdened, worry. You will hear enslaved. That's how it feels. And I've been there, and I've been there. No shame or guilt here, it's just reality. We know. That it's better to give than to receive. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. If you don't believe this whole concept of generosity yet, you won't know until you start. And the only way to start, you can't be generous if you don't give. So give. Start someplace. We call everybody here to give regularly to the Lord and worship him with that. Start an amount right now rob yourself be your own Robin Hood, okay Rob yourself to give to the Lord so that you can at least start in this process and we make it the easiest for you You can go online and go uh, Regular recurring gifts. It just immediately brings that value of generosity to you. Here's the deal It's not what we want from you We want this for you too many of our families are spending it all and more Too many of our families here in our church family are just burdened with debt. And I see that pain. I used to live that. And I can tell you, generosity is a much better. So liberate your life. It's something all of us can liberate our lives with just a little bit amount to start being generous. Folks, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Do you see it? Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying, finish empty of these things. Finish empty of fear. Empty of works. Empty of deception empty of materialism, so that you can be full of faith and grace and authenticity and generosity. Boy, when I fill my life with fear and with works and with deception and with material, you know what those are? That's the glorification of self. And it seems harmless, but it's a powerful tool in our lives and in the societal structures, structures that we live with. You want to liberate your life? Become a person of faith. Live with grace, away from works. Live authentically and vulnerable in the relationships that you have in life. And finish empty. Finish empty, but full of generosity. These are all about Christ. Each of them are priceless qualities which we all long for in life and which God freely gives us If we'll empty ourselves of the other things live today with the end in mind Until the day you leave or the day your life is taken finish empty Of yourself and full of christ. Let's pray Fathers, we consider these areas to empty ourselves of we also want to consider your promise to be filled with faith and grace and authenticity and generosity and whatever Whatever the hesitation, Holy Spirit, would you just take that away from our minds? Whatever the questionings or doubts, would you just fill it with a greater appetite to want more of Jesus in our lives? All these things follow the heart. So begin in our hearts and move them more to look like Christ. Holy Spirit, give us the power, work in our lives transform us to look more like Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.